Brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the quadcast. Today's guest is Dr. Tia Dole, the new executive director of the Steve Fund, the leading national organization dedicated to supporting the mental health and emotional well-being of young people of color. Hello, Tia, and welcome to the quadcast. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. We are delighted that you're here. Just a little bit about your background. Prior to coming to the Steve Fund, Dr. Dole was the chief clinical operations officer at the Trevor Project, the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ youth. So we are so psyched you're here. You are a big deal. I think that you're overstating it, but I appreciate the encouragement. (laughs) Seriously, we're so excited to hear from you. The Steve Fund is a big deal, fabulous partner to the Mary Christie Institute. But I'd like to start with you. So you bring a lot to this new role as executive director. You're a clinician yourself, an advocate, nonprofit leader. So tell us a little bit about your previous work and how this ties into the work of the Steve Fund and why you decided to take this new position. Great. Well, so I started out many, many years ago, really focusing on early psychosis. I hope you don't mind me going back that far. It really focused my work on young people. And all of my work has been working with young people of color, the most vulnerable youth. I started out working early psychosis and running a program called On Track, which was like offering free services to young people in urban areas. And just from there, I kind of really just focused my whole career on helping the most disenfranchised young people. And that brought me eventually to the Trevor Project. And when I started the Trevor Project three years ago, it was such an amazing experience of really directly helping young people in crisis across the United States. And we increased our impact over a period of three years by by a factor of five. That was a wild time. And I came out of that experience learning so much. The CEO was a former McKinsey person. Um, and I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm coming from a nonprofit hospital-based world. And so, you know, it, it, you know, when you work for a hospital, work for a nonprofit, you're, you're just lucky if you're in the black, as it were. But, you know, the, the Trevor Project really taught me a lot about running a large organization. It taught me a lot about how to really focus on impact, how to focus on efficiency while still centering the employees and still centering the young people. So the Trevor Project was so amazing. And I actually, I was quite happy we're expanding to Mexico. It was really important to me that we expand to countries that were for young people of color rather than going to some someplace that already had a lot of support. And this came along and I said, oh my goodness gracious, this is my job. This is this is what I've been preparing for my whole career. And it's been a wonderful fit. So I decided to take the new role because of my focus on young people of color my whole career. And I love the sweet spot of college age in particular, mostly because I feel strongly that you can make a huge impact with the right intervention at the right time. And, you know, older people, it takes them longer to change. Young people, you show them something else and they're like, oh, I I see. I got you. I got you. I can make this change. It's a beautiful thing. So for me as a clinician, maybe it's just knowing that we can make change with these young people and change their trajectory. So 
that's why I decided to take the role. Oh, that's great. And, you know, as the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute, we focus entirely on teens and young adults, and I share your passion for that particular age group. Let's talk a little bit about the mission of the Steve Fund. I know you weren't there at the time, but bring you back to the founding of it. Fabulous folks that founded this about five, six years ago. And the founding mission was really to have a deliberate and separate focus on the mental health and emotional well-being of young people of color. At the time, that was not only so important, but new. I remember we started MCI around the same time. And while there's been fabulous partners doing this work, like the Jed Foundation, it was so great to see the Steve Fund come onto the horizon as an important player in this field. My question to you is, and this is probably going to open up a whole lot of ideas for you, but your thoughts on that founding mission, why that's so important in a higher education setting, and what that means today in 2022. Well, I would say that the founders of the Steam Fund, who are all wonderful people, were sort of ahead of their time. Now, you know, all folks in communities of color know that we've been in crisis in the past and we're still in crisis. But I do believe that the Steam Fund was founded before the attention was being paid. And I'll say that there were probably two events that really sharpened the focus on young people of color and mental health, which were COVID-19 and then the murder of George Floyd. Both of those things together, I think, created just an understanding or a hyper-focus or tightened lens on these needs. So they were before, before their time, the founders. And I do believe that folks nowadays really understand that we are dealing with a crisis. There is a crisis happening across the United States, not just with young people of color, but for young people in general. They are struggling. You know, as COVID is quote unquote over, you can't see my finger air quotes of it's over. Young people are not going back to what they were doing before. They are still suffering from depression. They're suffering from anxiety and the loss of socialization over a course of two years. And on top of that, I do believe, and this is my own personal opinion, that the United States is going through a transformation that is extremely painful for everyone, and that the social contract between folks has been shifted, damaged as a result of the events of the last few years. And so what you're seeing are, are children who have grown up in an extremely tumultuous time and children of color who see evidence on TV every day that their lives don't matter. And so when you add all those things together, you're seeing young people who cannot bounce back in the way that we had hoped that they would. That is no doubt one of the most important imperatives of our time right now. I would agree with you, Tia. I also would agree it's one of the most important issues facing higher education right now. This sense of belonging and how that impacts well-being and how well-being impacts student success, completion rates, the equity of all our students to have the same experience in being able to obtain a degree and, and pursue a good life and a good job. So all of those issues are so important to us. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how this plays out in the higher ed landscape. So as far as focusing on the unique mental health needs of students of color. We sort of see it in, in a number of ways from the service delivery perspective, right? I think there's a lot of concern about help-seeking behavior, right? So I want to talk to you about that first, and then we can talk a little bit more about the environmental strategies. But from a, the counseling center's perspective, reaching students of color has always been a challenge. And I think what we're learning, thanks to the research that the Steve Fund has done, is that, as you alluded to, they don't 
always see themselves as valued or as understood. So as colleges and universities really try to address this issue of how to help students of color who are, as you mentioned, experiencing similar, if not exasperated symptoms of anxiety and depression, what are some of the things we should be thinking about as far as how they're thinking about seeking help? So I think that there's a really great way to think about this is if you're a clinician, like a psychologist, social worker, and you have a a picture on psychology today, What folks of color do is they scroll through the pages looking for someone who looks like them. It's number one thing that they do. I have had many people scroll through the pages and said, I was looking for a person of color. I was looking for a person who appeared to be Black. You know, are you in fact that? And do you have any availability? And so one of the things that I, I like to start out with is that students of color are looking for folks in the counseling center who look like them. And unfortunately, we know that there is a very small percentage, I'll use psychologists as example, less than 5% of psychologists are Black, 2% of psychologists identify as Latino or Latina or Latinx. And what you're saying is you have students of color in your school, but you don't have anybody in the counseling center who looks like them. And, and consequently, they don't feel comfortable going. They go click on the website, they scroll down. And they say, nobody here will understand where I'm coming from. Mostly because when you are bringing issues of racism or microaggressions to a a counselor, oftentimes they invalidate those experiences. Well, what are you doing to endanger that behavior? Maybe we let's focus on you rather than your environment. And that can feel terrible for a young person, especially a young person with an intersectional identity. Young person of color identifies as queer. They are even less likely to find someone who they feel will understand them. I always have folks in my practice who I consider refugees of bad clinicians, folks who have told them that their experiences are invalid. And so I'll start there. I think another part of it is for counseling centers in particular, they don't have that many sessions. If you're lucky, you can get 10 sessions out of a counseling center. They are literally doing the best that they can, but there's a huge need. And sometimes 10 sessions isn't enough, and then they refer students out. But a lot of students of color disproportionately have the health insurance given by the school. The health insurance given by the school doesn't really cover mental health in a way that would make it accessible to them. And so they are stuck. So even if they have their few sessions, they're referred out to where? The neighbor, the community. Good luck trying to find a clinician of color who takes whatever insurance that they currently have. And so What it does is it it creates a block to access. So first step is increasing clinicians of color, which kind of goes back to training. I ran a a training program for psychology internship, which is the last year in training. And it's interesting because just because you're an academically successful student doesn't mean you're going to be a good, good clinician. In fact, sometimes I think it's the opposite. And so our criteria for admission into doctoral programs or MSWs are not necessarily lending themselves to good clinicians. So I'll stop there. A great observation of what's going on in terms of the workforce problems and how students of color may see themselves interacting with the counseling center. And it continues to be a problem. And as you said, I think the number one is to increase, right, the clinicians of color that we are offering our students. And there's a whole lot of, I know, professional development and and various dynamics that go into that. 
Another area that I think this defund does a lot of work on and is a huge value to the field is the sense that how is it that the higher ed environment can change these dynamics for the student? Talk a little bit about some of the upstream strategies that you have there. Great. So one of the things that we do at the Steve Fund is an equity and mental health on campus. So that is an intervention that we actually co-created with the Jed Foundation. And the purpose of that is to really focus on the needs of each school. So one of the things I think about it this way is that each school has different set of needs. And what I mean by that is you have a school, for instance, we're working with a large system. Each campus has a different demographic, a different population. And, you know, we try to really focus on, okay, well, what are, what are their needs? Okay. So the first thing that we tend to do is what are the students of color experiences? Are they experiencing microaggression? Are they experiencing discrimination, hate crimes? I'll use myself as an example in grad school. Someone is a well-known grad school. Someone hung a noose on the uh, door of a professor to indicate, right? (laughs) Right. And this is, this is just, you know, in the modern world, you would think that this is a very liberal environment, but it isn't. And so we identify what are the experiences that students are feeling here? Are they having marginalization? Are they having stereotype threat? What are all the things? And then we teach folks there what the impact of these on the mental health of young people. One of the things that I think is as a challenge is really what does this mean for this individual? Because I think in some ways when you say, well, this person is experiencing microaggression, the impact of that is unknown because you yourself haven't experienced it, especially if you're a majority in a majority environment. You know, you don't really understand that. So we teach folks on campus what this means for young people, racial trauma, depression, anxiety, low self-esteem. And then we also talk about what, how that manifests in terms of behavior. One of the things I've been hearing a lot about is stigma and shame. I don't know if you know about Brené Brown, and she's done such great work around identifying how shame can be incredibly debilitating for young people of color or young people in general or people in general and how that creates mistrust and a lack of access. So, you know, what we're trying to do is teach people on campus about what is happening to their young students of color and then engaging in strategies to educate their staff members, change how they access the mental health system, embedding this into, let's say, what within dorms, things like that. Well, uh, the, I got to say the equity and mental health framework is invaluable resource. Let me just ask you this. do Is this something that schools, they sign on to, Tia, or is it something that's just readily available out there? I mean, I imagine as you're describing it, this is, this is hard work, right? So it's not like, oh, here's a pamphlet, you read it. And, you know, what is the actual engagement around the project? like this? So we actually, we have a website where people can download resources. And let's say if they feel they don't have capacity to engage with us, it's 18 months. I And, you know, it's a monthly <laughs> call. We have the needs assessment and they re- each school receives a coach that helps shepherd them through that. And so we are working with leadership to have a more trauma-informed approach. We're talking with counseling centers, but also the DEI office and student affairs working collaboratively to talk about mental health. And so, you know, part of the challenge when you're making change in a school is that it can't be just just a counseling center. It really is about the other folks on campus engaging. Because one of the things that I we see a lot is, especially prof- people who have been professors for a long time, is like, that's not my job. 
My job is to teach. I just I just came here. I want to teach. I want to teach these young people. They're so entitled. I hear this all the time, right? And and not in a mean way, but like these kids are so entitled. They expect us to coddle them. They expect to be taken care of. And one thing that came up in the conference that you all hosted, which was so good, the president's competing on college student mental health is instead of talking about whether or not students are college ready, I love this. Y'all were talking about whether or not colleges are student ready. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a real shift in perspective about what is the role of colleges and universities. Students are working so hard to get into them and then they're really burnt out. And colleges are, you know, when professors are thinking to themselves, like, what's going on? Just do the assignment. Why are you emailing me that you're having a mental health crisis? They don't want to deal with it. Understandably so, because they have a lot on their plate. I just wanted to make sure people knew that reference, which was a great quote about being a student-ready institution, came from Sophia Pertuz, who is an expert in DEI and actually was an uh, advisor to the Jed Foundation. She did speak in Washington, and it was great that you were there, Tia. There are so many challenges to this work, and it is so important, as you saw from participating in that president's convening the idea of equity and belonging and how we can infuse this into our students because it's such an important part of their well-being came up over and over again in our flourishing conversations. And we didn't just delineate this to a DEI issue. This was really about everything, right? So it's interesting what you say, uh, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about the role of faculty, which is a, a huge topic that we've been covering for a long time now. But there really is more evidence that faculty have, when you look at the Gallup work, a profound impact, whether they want to or not, on the, their students' well-being. So it, it's interesting, I think, I don't want to be an ageist because I'm in the uh, latter category, but I think some of the younger faculty are starting to see that. But having these kinds of conversations and certainly having the equity framework, it makes a difference. I do want to ask a few last questions because we're going to wrap up here soon. The Steve Fund does so many things. Every time I get your newsletter, I'm like, wow, they're into that now. That's so cool. Talk a little bit about some of the big things that we're going to see from the Steve Fund over the next year. And then my last question is, can't help myself, given your background and everything you've done, you must have some particular priorities that you'd like to bring to the agenda. So those are my last two questions. Great. Well, I'll say that the Steep Fund this year is really about our infrastructure and growth. From our perspective, we would love to expand our reach, which means growing our team, which means really just drilling down on how we do our work so that we can actually expand. Realistically speaking, you know, young people of color are, are from what I understand, the majority of young people in the United States at this point, which means that what we're trying to do is create environments that are healthy for young people of color across the United States since they're going to be running the country in 10 to 15 years. So there's that. My approach is really ensuring that we are reaching people of color who don't always have access to college and university. I'll say, you know, speaking to folks, you know, we work with colleges and universities, we work with corporations. Right now, we're actually really thinking about how we engage with high school and middle schools because not every young person of color ends up in college. And in some ways, that's a privilege. Fully more than half the people in the United States don't go to college. And so we want to bring our services to young people of color who may not have access to college and universities because 
the early intervention is the key, isn't it? That's how you prevent folks from experiencing serious mental health conditions later on, especially with things like psychosis, right? The earlier you identify and intervene, the more likely that they will have a recovery and less of a decrease in functioning. So that's what I'm thinking about. And the other thing that I really think about is our most vulnerable youth. I come from a world where I've worked in the LGBTQ space for years and years. I think the intersectional identity of young people of color and and queer folks is something that communities of color haven't really been thinking about in the past. And I really want to make sure that the state fund creates space for those most vulnerable young people, knowing that they, out of everybody in the United States, are more likely to die by suicide and to have suicidal ideation. And the last thing I'll add in is I do think that there's a crisis of suicide in this country. That's sort of my specialty. And I do know that trends for young people of color, especially Black folks, have really shifted over the last six to eight years. Where we're seeing alarming statistics for suicide completion, suicide ideation. And so really just understanding that this is a thing that's happening. It's not a, it's not a fiction. And, and, and ensuring that young people are getting the support that they need. That's so great. And to hear your personal perspective on that, I'm just listening to you, Tia. I know we've had a chance to talk a few times before, but I am so excited about what you're going to be doing at the Steve Fund. And I can't wait to hear more. And I can't wait to work with you. And I just wanted to say thank you so much and good luck with all this great work. And come back to the podcast because we've got a lot more to talk about. I, whenever you need me, here. Thank you for inviting me. Take care. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating, a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.